Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Daf Malhotra once again on Straight Talk. We have a tremendous guest, and we always do, of course, but today we have a, a special guest who has authored a book that I think is not just compelling and powerful, but of course, its timing is impeccable, given where we are globally, given the sort of crisis and chaos many of us are facing. In fact, we just came out of one three years ago with COVID, and uh, voila, we enter another phase of a potential recession, inflation, and geopolitical tension. Now, of course, I'm not trying to be overly negative because this is not what we're about. Uh, today, we have our guest who's going to uh, help us to understand and live and breathe, uh, maybe stop for a moment as well, and understand what it means to, to deal with the mind and how sensitive and fragile the mind can be if you don't give it enough care, sensitivity, and love. I'd like to welcome Naz um, uh, Beheshti on my show today. What an honor to have you, Naz, uh, on the show. Thank you for coming on to Straight Talk. Thank you so much for having me off. I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah, the feelings are mutual. We're going to go right into it. Um, your book, Pause, Breathe, choose, uh, become the CEO of your well-being is um, a very powerful title, of course. And I have no doubt you've been talking about this over the last couple of years on numerous shows. Uh, I will delve deep into the book and the findings and these amazing techniques and models that you have that I've exposed myself to, uh, all of them pragmatic and practical. Before we do so, it's very important for us to understand who is Nas, what is your background, what is your personal story, how did you get here, why did you decide to write uh, a book, and why now? So over to you, Nas. Well, my background is of Persian descent. I was born in Tehran, Iran, and we, my family decided to come to the U.S. on vacation and that was a long time ago. And then the revolution broke out and we ended up staying. So we are on an indefinite vacation and started a whole new life from scratch in a new country. Um, and my life would be extremely different if that revolution hadn't happened and we did not choose to come here because I wouldn't even be here. I probably wouldn't even have a, my own company or gone in this direction. So I always think about how my life has unfolded from my roots and how I had a new opportunity here. I grew up in uh, San Francisco in the Bay Area, and I went to school at UC Santa Cruz right out, out of college. I studied psychology, and right out of college, I really um, was presented an opportunity kind of by accident. I didn't even seek it, but my first job out of college ended up being at Apple as Steve Jobs' executive assistant. He hired me on the spot. So it was very difficult to say no, even though that wasn't you know, my plan. I did not intend to be an executive assistant after studying psychology, but I said yes, because it was Steve Jobs. And I thought it would be an amazing opportunity. And it was just planning to be a temporary stop on my path, on my map, because yeah. that wasn't going to be my career. But in hindsight, that first job and Steve Jobs being my first boss and mentor set me on the path and inspired me and gave me the, the courage to actually start my own business and do what I'm doing right now as an executive wellness coach and CEO of a corporate wellness company. So in between my job 
uh, as his EA and what starting my company, actually now it's about 12 years ago, I had numerous other jobs in corporate America. And um, I worked in sales at Yahoo. I worked at a startup, a tech startup. I worked in sales at AstraZeneca, pharmaceutical sales. And all of these jobs were just, they were jobs. They were fun in the beginning. I learned different skills, but I also learned there was a huge wellness gap in, in corporate America. And I myself at times were really stressed on the verge of burnout. The companies did not have any support. They did not have any like um, tools, strategies, you know, coaches, programs, wellness programs, nothing to support the employees uh, when it came to, to burnout, to managing stress. And so I learned some of my own techniques through trial and error. I uh, went back to school to, to learn more about, you know, lifestyle, nutrition, uh, neuro-linguistic programming to become an NLP practitioner. And uh, I started doing yoga, meditating, like all these holistic approaches that really helped me and really transformed my life um, made me realize that these are not just tools for myself, but I can create a program or a framework to help other people who were yeah. like me uh, that were stressed or are stressed and, you know, need more mindfulness balance in their life. And so I quit my corporate job after a six week life-changing trip, solo trip to India. And I decided to just like, I couldn't handle anymore, like mm -hmm. living life, like, you know, not waking up passionate about what I do, right? I right. needed to do something that I loved. And um, I quit my job and started my company, Prananaz. And since that day, I've never looked back. Yes, it was hard in the beginning, like any job, any any new company you start or any job or anything new you start could be difficult at first. But because I was so passionate about it, all the obstacles, all the things that um, challenges and struggles were just you know, a challenge for me. It was just something that I pushed through. It wasn't something I was going to give up on because I was so passionate about it. And that's what I find a lot of people who aren't passionate, they start something new just to start it or for the money or for the reasons that don't come from deep down. They don't stick yeah. with it because it's really hard to stick with something you're not passionate about. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm very happy and grateful to say that I love what I do. And every day I wake up, I'm truly, truly satisfied, gratified. Like I just am so passionate about helping people live their best life. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, that's beautifully put. Thank you. Uh, there are a couple of things I just want to pick from there. So firstly, if I may, let's go back to your background because, um, uh, let me give the context to the question, right? So it's interesting. There's a gentleman called Sadhguru who is, uh, it was a, you know, a very popular spiritual leader out there. I'm sure you've heard of him, and we hope to get him on the show soon. And he he um, uh, talked about something quite interesting recently. He said uh, when he travels to the West, he's based in India in a place called Coimbatore, and he said he travels to the West. Uh, and when he comes to the West, and he said this is phenomenal, right? For years and years and years. The West always brings up this issue of stress. And he said, it's phenomenal because, and it's amazing how you give stress so much value that you even have something called stress management. It's so important in your life. You know, you usually give importance to things that are of value, that, that are precious. And we make stress so precious. And we even, you know, we have so many mechanisms to manage stress, to think about stress. 
We give it so much attention. That's where the energy is flowing. And how do I deal with my stress as opposed to how do I really feel good about myself, which is what you just said. It's a very, they're two very different things, right? Right. And yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> I mean, it's a natural conversation. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, to, to that point is when you feel happy, it's because you're doing the things to make yourself happy. They're, they're lifestyle habits that you have to incorporate. The people who are giving all that attention to stress don't know how to manage it and don't have that resilience to be able to then be like, okay, life's throwing me a curveball or something is challenging at the moment. Let me handle this. Let me respond to it, not, not react to it and like turn my life upside down. Right. So that's when you start going into like verge of burnout or actually burnout, which that is a really big problem in the U S although in Japan too, there are other places in the world that do experience it, but not as much as here and, and, you know, compared to the rest of the world. So I completely yeah. understand the whole like stress management piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about it on this show uh, around c- conscious capitalism or the future of capitalism. And it's, it always seems to be boiling down to, you know, if you think of the systemic problem that you're dealing with in your book, you know, um, you're saying in effect that you need to, you need to calm down. What you're saying is you need to calm down. And what you're saying is it's important to have goals if you wish. It's important to have some aspirations and it's good to pursue some ambition within the context of everything else that makes you the person you are, which is way more and infinitely more important than your obsession with work, which is what I think you're saying in the book, beautifully articulated with loads of tools. I'd like to... I'd like to start by helping people understand your book with the following problem statement. And the problem statement, I know you will, you will do this fantastically. The problem statement is as follows. So right now on the planet, if you think of the workplace, the middle managers seem to be uh, you know, almost thrown into mid-sea in shark-infested waters with no life jackets. I think that's how they feel. That's sure. what we hear. And why is because after COVID, remote working and virtual working happened, hybrid working happened. They were never really trained or built for that model. Mm -hmm. Then BLM happened. Me too happened. Mm -hmm. Um, The great resignation happened. People started to leave their jobs and you had to fill these open headcounts. You had to retain staff. You had to build trust again. Then you have inflation, then you have the threat of recession, and the list goes on and on and on. And it feels like to these mid-managers that they are laden, they're laden with anxiety, with stress, with um, conditions that one shouldn't have mentally. And that concept of burnout, I think it's like you talk about chronic stress versus acute stress. And I really like the way you've differentiated. So if it's okay, let's start with the mid-managers as being the the use case here for a moment, because it's real, it's a problem, we're seeing it all through our episodes, and what you've written about here can potentially solve a lot of that or address a lot of those challenges. So with that in mind, what I'd love to start with is what is your initial reaction to the situation that these mid-managers are in? Because I'm sure you'll appreciate they're just flooded with all of this stuff coming at them. What is your first response to them? If I was the mid-manager and I'm here seeking help, pleading and saying, give, give me some salvation, uh, Nas, what, what is, well, how would you respond? What is it that you would say? 
Well, I would say it starts from within. So do the things that make you feel good and do not neglect your own self-care. Because if you do not take care of yourself, you cannot take care of your people. You cannot take care of your family. You cannot take care of anyone else. So it starts from within. And most people, whether it's mid, mid-level managers, um, executives, parents, who, whomever, start neglecting when they're they're in charge of other people, they're responsible for other people and have lots of responsibilities, they tend to, especially like very caring empaths, they tend to put their energy outward to other people and help them while neglecting themselves. And then that's how like, after some time, that's not sustainable. You neglect and neglect yourself, your self-care, and you end up not being able to give anymore. You're depleted, right? And that depletion that acute stress turns to chronic stress, that chronic stress turns to burnout, turns to illness, dis-ease, right? So I would say to take care of yourself and before trying to take care of other people, because you cannot give if you do not give to others, if you do not give to yourself, you'll just Mm. like burn out. So that's like the most important thing is taking care of Mm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and pragmatically, uh, so that's one, absolutely. So that's a, a sense of awareness. You know, it's a sense of awareness to say, listen, I've got to get this, I've got to get the house in order. This is just not working, right? Yeah. What can one do pragmatically and practically? Uh, like right now, you know, what do I do? I'm still lost. I, I hear you, but I don't know. I have no tools to help me. Well, what right. do you suggest? Yeah. Well, so in my, for example, when I coach someone, I I talk to them about their lifestyle. What is it at work, at home, your sleep, your relationships, you know, what you're eating, your exercise, like all those, because it's a very holistic approach to the choices that you make every day. What are your habits? What are your good habits? What are your bad habits? What are you doing every day? And then trying to just start small, not saying, okay, after you, you told me this, this, and this, we're going to turn everything around overnight and give you a whole new life. And no, that doesn't work. So I would say, you know, I would work with that person's lifestyle and what they're currently doing. For example, I would ask, how are you sleeping? Like, let's just start with the very, very basic. If you're not sleeping well, let's, let's start with that. Are you exercising? Are you moving your body? Like, what is your relationship at work with, you know, your direct reports with your manager? Because that could also cause a lot of stress. So what happens at work is interconnected with what happens at home and vice versa. So when people talk about this whole concept of work-life balance, I just think it's just kind of BS. It is, there is no work-life balance, right? I like to talk about work-life integration and work-life engagement. How do you show up engaged in work and in life? So how do you bring your best self to work in life? And, and so we work one by one, like, you know, we work together for quite some time. I mean, this is my coaching. So you asked me, like, you're not asking me if you were my coachee, but for um, one is get my book and try to start picking out some actions. The way I wrote my book was for someone like you, who's like, I don't know where to start. At the end Mm -hmm. of each chapter, I give a bunch of different action steps and business hacks that are actionable because that's how my coaching is. That's how I am. That's how my book is written is it's very actionable. So choose one, start there. How do you feel? Do you show, do you see ripples around, you know, in other areas of your life when you start maybe sleeping better. Maybe you pick up a mindfulness practice, whatever that is. Maybe you're starting to move your body in different ways. Maybe you weren't moving, you were sitting all day and you decided to start walking more or, you know, exercising, whatever, whatever the case. So 
those are the small steps that create huge change. Mm-hmm. Let's step back for one moment. And I want to share a very short story with you. So I was, I was having lunch with a CEO of a listed company and a while back now, and the lunch went on and on and on. And we, we drank a bottle of wine together that's allowed. And he, he loosened up a little bit and he said something interesting to me and I've never forgotten it because we were talking, you know, theoretically about empathy, right? We were talking about compassion, uh, the leaders of tomorrow, all of that sort of good stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, can I say something to you? And I said, go on. And he said, how do you expect me to have empathy, compassion, love, support, give support, if I don't feel in my personal life, I have any of it? Mm. And without delving into what he meant, we can, we can infer what he was saying. And it got me thinking, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've just, it's very, it's actually a very basic point, but you're right. You are the company you keep. So when you get home, if you see the opposite of everything, the company wants you to be like, you know, we put all these posts up on LinkedIn and social media, empathy, it's all about compassion. And he made a great point. He said, I don't have any of it because I don't experience any of it Mm -hmm. in my personal life. So that integration, like the middleware, uh, you know, which you're talking about between work and personal life, that integration is broken. And sometimes it's because of what you've said, lifestyle, sleep, but sometimes it's even more fundamental. It could be relationships, the lack of relationships. Um, And I think we forget that, don't we, when we try and self-reflect. And in the book, when you talk about pause, breathe, choose, that's not just about three words coming together. It's much, much more. I mean, pausing is about, I think, um, this is how I'm interpreting your book. Pausing is about just saying, actually stopping for a moment and saying, look, and I'm thinking, I've got to make a not-to-do list as much as I've got to make my to-do list because we are in a habit of, because of capitalism and the pressure of do, 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 do. We are, that's all we do. Mm-hmm. And so we don't often just stop and stay calm. And actually the studying, uh, the, the teachings and the, the, the study of the East tells you, you must just be, like you say in your book, just be comfortable with yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. so, so this is just a point I wanted to raise. You also talk about, uh, in your book, a few very interesting approaches, the ACE approach, which I'd like you just to uh, touch on in in the context of of stress in particular. Um, And then you talk about, you know, and people can read your book and and figure this out. But you also then talk about um, MAP, M-A-P. Tell me a little bit about, you know, when these techniques work well. And as candid and honestly uh, as you can articulate this, when do they fail and why do they fail? Okay. So the ACE method is really a new way of reframing stress. So it's all about upgrading both your mindset and your behavior. And when it fails is when you don't have awareness that you're actually Hmm. experiencing stress and what type of stress. So The ability to distinguish between the different kinds of stress, as I talk about in my book, is acute stress, chronic, and eustress, which actually stands for ACE. Mm. Um, That allows you to perceive when you can identify it, it allows you to perceive stress as a challenge rather than an obstacle. So that awareness can help you reframe that stress as this is a challenge, not an obstacle. This is something I can get over. So like once you understand 
the type of the stress you're facing, then you can actually identify the next step, which is what are the actual stressors and the sores. Right. And then take empowered action. So it's really easy. It's a three-step, you know, approach. Um, the ACE method is really through awareness, change, and empowerment. So, mm. you know, the step one, as I mentioned, is being aware of the signs and symptoms. And then step two is changing your mindset. Again, it fails if you're not even aware of it to begin with. How do you change something you're not aware of? Right. Mm -hmm. And then step three is like taking empowered action to shift, right? You want to avoid chronic stress and toggle between the acute and eustress because acute and eustress are positive stresses, right? So that ACE method is just like a new kind of refreshing way to, to handle the different types of stress. Mm. And then as far as, as the MAP method, the MAP method is a holistic framework that I've created to help you navigate like your own mindful journey. So your MAP your map of authentic self-discovery and better choices and purposeful growth. So MAP is an acronym for Master Mindfulness, the big M, which is part one of my book, and then Apply Better Choices to Manage Stress and Build Resilience, which is the seven A's, part two of my book, and yeah. Promote Yourself to the CEO of Your Wellbeing, which are the three P's, the last part of my book. And mm -hmm. so the MAP method uses the metaphor of a map to chart that purposeful life. And mm. that's how really my book was written is based on this map method that I've been using with my clients for over a decade now. Okay. And when does it, when does it stop working or what, what in, in your experience, when you work with coaches or various people, where, when you, when you see it um, not doing what it's supposed to do, what has happened at that point? What's that failure point? it stops working when you stop doing the work. Like it's a constant work in progress. So it's a commitment to yourself to live your best life. It's a commitment to adopt healthy habits. It's a commitment to have a healthy mindset and to be aware of your thoughts, to be aware of your relationships. And are they toxic? Are they healthy? To be aware of the foods that you're eating. Are you going for depleting foods or energizing foods? Aware of your exercise, like all those things. Um, mm -hmm. that's very holistic to you as a whole person and that the, what type of energy that you're, you're taking in and giving out, it's like the input output type of, mm -hmm. um, mindset of, uh, joy and energy basically. Mm -hmm. Have you found a quick question on stress? I just want to go a little bit deeper. Have you found that, uh, the type of stress has a major impact on a person's ability to deal with it. So for example, just, you know, being um, at two ends of the spectrum, a stress that relates to the loss of a loved one, right? Which is a combination of trauma as well. So death of someone, unexpected death, and then the stresses that come from it could be manifold, you know, loneliness, financial uh, insecurity, and so on and so forth, and many, many others. Do you find that the type of stress it's very important for you to understand, well, one, to understand the type of stress one is dealing with, because the workplace stress, yes, of course, is important, and it does cause anxiety and depression and all the other issues. But aren't they different, or are you saying that they all have the same effect at the end of the day? No, absolutely not. All, there's different types of stress, and different people respond to stress in different ways. So how much mm -hmm. resilience, how much experience have you had for those, you know, situational um, circumstances 
it's completely different. And some stresses, like I said, are acute or chronic, but the ones you, you know, describe like a death of a loved one, you know, that could be chronic because it's very hard to get over. It could take a long time, a death of a loved one. And, and so it also um, really does impact the, the healing process is also impacted by your resilience, but also your support system. Like, do right. you yeah. have support? Do you have love and, you know, other people supporting you, uh, mm. or are you all alone? You know, that is really a really big indicator of how you also handle that stress and, and how you can heal and how quickly you can heal. But all stress, you know, I, I put this in my book too, is that, you know, the awareness of the stress and actually knowing that you're feeling the stress or so what type of stress and then feeling it and not just trying to dismiss it and cover it up by like drinking, smoking, you know, um, becoming numb to it. You've got to feel it, mm. be aware of it, address it, go through the stages. Everyone has different stages, times, and it's not, it's a nonlinear approach mm. um, or process, but to truly, truly feel it and address it, not ignore it or, you know, neglect it. Yeah. Yeah. During the COVID period, we saw uh, in the workplace in particular, we saw, of course, that whole remote working um, challenge. I mean, it was great for many people, for managers, going back to this mid-manager and leader challenge. You know, you now had to manage and work with and cultivate and, you know, groom or whatever the term is, your team without actually being with them. You know, so it, let's say your magic uh, was or your superpower was your charisma, you know, your physical presence, your energy uh, you know, the, the energy you exude. Now you could do that on Zoom. Of course, it takes a bit of time to master that. But let's say you were just so dependent on your team being around you, you know, looking at the, the, the whites of the eyes and giving each person that love and attention and that care. And suddenly, bang, it's gone. And now you're on the back of these video conferencing tools, you know, this square or this rectangle. That's been that's been really tough for a lot of managers to deal with because they they would argue that we are relationship based, we're human, and that's how we helped our team. In your experience over the course of the last three years, again, the timing of your book is impeccable. Uh, how are you guiding people around this? You know, because I'm sure it's come up numerous times for you. Um, how, how do you coach? How do you guide? What do you say to a manager at this point to say, "Listen, um, there is there is a way out." What's your response? Well, the way out is shifting the mindset and becoming more adaptable and agile to changing times. Change is inevitable and we need to adapt to be able to move forward. But staying in the past and always saying this is what I need or I'm used to when everyone else is remote, it's very hard yeah. to like they're going against the flow. They're going yeah. Uh, they're, they're creating greater obstacles. Yes, it's a challenge and it's a very common challenge. I hear it all the time amongst my um, leaders and executives and mid-management, everyone and most people, not everyone. Some people actually prefer it, but more people like it in person because it's easier for all the reasons you said. I mean, you miss a lot of nonverbal communication and even you're not even, you're only seeing part of that. Yeah. You don't even yeah. see the rest <laughs> of their body, right? So like you you are missing quite literally and figuratively, you are missing a lot of the interaction. Yeah. Uh, so what I say to that is 
we have to adapt to the changing time and make more of an effort. So is that more one-on-ones? Is that more like reaching out? Because everyone was going through the same thing, similar, not same, similar thing of loss, change, you know, um, their security, their, the unknown was so front and present. No one knew what was going to happen during the pan, in the midst of the pandemic. So in a way it created actually more of a bonding and connection because people were going around the entire world going through something similar, right? So I would say use that as an opportunity to connect with your direct reports, with your colleagues, your peers, even more. Use it as an opportunity instead of, well, Mm. I'm used to this and now I'm not getting that. Okay, you're not getting that. Yes, that's a lack. We're we're speaking from a, a place of lack. Let's now speak from a place of what you've gained from this experience and what you can gain if you choose to create an opportunity out of this experience. And I can't tell you how many people have loved connecting on a deeper level. They never knew or thought to do that in a workplace setting. I mean, just the fact of that we're in our homes, like even in the news, like was watching CNN or whatever was in the middle of the pandemic and someone's like dog went by, you know, the, the anchor's dog. It's like, you wouldn't even know, first of all, what their home looked like if they had kids or because it's just more natural setting. And so just by having a glimpse of them, even though it's just part of them in their own home setting, you're actually getting a glimpse into their more personal life. And that alone is a metaphor of like how it's actually connected and bonded us more. If yeah, it's a great way, great way of putting it. Yeah. I, can I say one thing? I like the way you reframe that because um, that's brilliant reframing because I think what you're saying is, look, now you have this opportunity. If you, In fact, look at my situation, if it, people remember this. So I'm, I see a painting and I see your fantastic book that everyone should buy, by the way, and we'll mm-hmm. post that out later. And what you see here is me and my life and my personality. So you see the books. I'm a musician. So you see the guitar. You see my Indian drums, which you probably can't see, but it's they're, they're, they're here somewhere there. Right, my mm-hmm. yeah, tablas. The yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a musician as well, and that personality is me. So if you want the full, authentic version of me, you need it all, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I just don't have my family here. That would be a little bit too much. But uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if down the line people get so used to uh, being comfortable in those situations that today we might feel is uncomfortable for a lot of us, right? Because the corporate world is bizarre because the corporate world has detached us from our human selves to such a degree. I don't know who the hell decided this nonsense because for years, 25, 30 years, we were taught you go into this office, you go into this, you know, um, age essentially, and you behave in a certain way and you speak in a certain way and you refrain and you never really tell anyone about your life or your personal life and how you like to play the tablas over the weekend and you play in a concert or you're a painter or you're an artist or you love football or whatever it may be. Only later on over the last 15 years have we started to open up, uh, which is absolutely bizarre because I say this because I look at the East and when I look at the East, you know, you're from Iran or, you know, you, you have a multicultural bilingual existence like I do. Cultures have a massive role to play in creating what I call ambidexterity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you start to see, like, you will see 4K in situations, and I'll see 4K. Mm-hmm. Someone else from a linear culture will see, th- you know, um, 2K or mm-hmm. a, a, a view that is different from ours. And I think you can keep enriching that as you absorb, like, the stuff that you've got in your book is is so enriching. And the tools are so powerful that if you actually use them, you can see that major difference happen. 
One final thing about change. So uh, some someone might might say to you, look, uh, Nas, there are people around me at my workplace that bring out the worst in me because you said bring out the best in you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I read your book scenario. I read your book and I've been practicing it and I do feel better. Honestly, I do feel better. And I watched your podcast with Af on, and Straight Talk and it was brilliant and I do feel better, no, no doubt. But I, I, it's not, I'm not there. How radical should one be? Should I resign from my job? Should I try and change the job? How do I get rid of those negativities? Because uh, I, I get that question a lot, but I'm going to throw it at you because you're the expert. I actually had a few clients and more recently leave their job because of the toxic relationship. And we talked it through. So what I would say is how toxic is it? How much is it infiltrating your, your work life, your home life, your life? Like, does this person or people occupy a a lot of your, are they taking up like prime real estate in your mind and your heart? Are they affecting you mentally, emotionally? If so, I mean, I always say first try to work it out, right? Like go to Mm -hmm. HR, talk to them directly, talk to your boss, Mm -hmm. go to HR, like do those, those common basic Mm -hmm. things. But if that still doesn't work out, because often that's the first step. And then things change temporarily, like, oh, okay, the relationship has improved. They're not as toxic or whatever. But after time, it reverts. If you don't really get to the like root of the problem or it's not mendable, it reverts back to that toxicity level. And so right. then it becomes a cyclical cycle, a vicious cycle, right? So at mm. that point, it's like your mental and emotional state, your joy is much more important than any job. Even if you're super passionate about the job, go somewhere else, find somewhere. If that person isn't going to leave or get fired for whatever it is that they're doing, your well-being is the ultimate wealth. And so, yes, I would say be extreme and move on. Mm. And actually, uh, I said a few clients, one of them just recently did that, uh, recently, like a few months ago and found something way better, another position, much better, better fit and said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe, you know, the how, what I was experiencing was just a few months ago. It feels like a lifetime ago because I'm so happy here. And like, I can't believe I even dealt with that. Right. It's like a whole new life almost because it affected that person so much. Right. And life is too short to have someone in your workplace, like affect you that much and becoming the subtitle. And my, my biggest talk um, workshop is become the CEO of your well-being, And that also means become the CEO of your well-being by being the CEO in your relationships. So looking at taking a scan of your relationships at work, at home, wherever, and, and, and um, just assessing how your relationship is. For example, when I speak with someone I haven't spoken to in a while, or just in general, I actually do a little quick self-assessment. Was that energizing or depleting? Like, am I happy? Mm. Am I like, I assess how I feel after speaking with that person, whether it's on the phone or in person or in my whatever interaction, if too many times I feel it's depleting or I'm annoyed or frustrated or whatever, 
uh, I start demoting that relationship. So I spend less yeah. time with them, right? Yeah. If I'm like super energized and happy and they, they bring me joy and love and all that, I promote that relationship. I want to spend more time with you. Now, mm-hmm. if the toxicity level is very high and too many times they just, you know, frustrates me or it's just not a good relationship, I terminate. I choose as a mm-hmm. CEO to terminate that relationship. So mm-hmm. either promote, demote, or terminate your relationships so you can be happy and, you know, live your best life because bad relationships are very toxic and draining and why Mm -hmm. in the workplace or at home deal with that. You don't have to, you have a choice to try to fix it. If you can't fix it, make it better. If you can't make it better out, cut it out. And that's not extreme in my opinion, because your mental Mm -hmm. health and emotional health is much more important. Yeah, wise words. And you hit the nail on the head. I think one of the things I take away from that point, really, it's very subtle, but it's so important. So I'm reinforcing this is uh, for those listening, you have to have the awareness, but also the courage to say, and the self, uh, self-respect, self really, to say that yeah. my well-being trumps everything. It's right at the top of the pyramid. It's the most important thing. If, if that's broken, I am not me. And, you know, I have to be honest with you, I've been there before myself. I've had multiple burnouts. I used to run a startup, selling it now. And I've been in the corporate, out of the corporate, running my not-for-profits, running this show. And you juggle many things, but it's funny. People say to me now, oh my God, you do so many things. I don't I don't feel like I do so many things because I actually truly love what I do. Like I love talking to you because it's an enriching process for me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking to someone who's accomplished, who's lived life, who's got wisdom, has created a book, encapsulated their experiences in that book and is now, you know, cascading it, distributing it to the rest of the world. So you're making a difference to people. When you speak to people like you, you uh, channel and you cross-pollinate energy. Mm. It's what you do. And so you're bang on. And I love that. I love that. that uh, You're saying have the courage to terminate the relationship. Mm. So important. And that could be someone's personal relationship doesn't always have to be business, you know, like a partner or a colleague. It can be at home, the, the, the idea of that particular CEO who is alluding to the fact that, hey, who, what makes you think that I've got this at home? So there's something he needs to sever mm-hmm. him Absolutely. to be, be uh, in touch with his gifts. A lot of what you've said as we close off, it's been fascinating. A lot of what you've said makes me think about this very important point, which is asking for help. So the, the book and a book or a manual or a training course is the start. And I think it's mandatory. There's just like no non-negotiable. Beyond that, however, I've started to feel, and I've only realized this recently in my life, even through multiple traumas or health traumas and so on, only recently in the last couple of years, that I am a better me when I have external intervention, when I, I have to accept that I can't solve the problem myself. And it may be, I may have the gifts, I may have the ability, but I'm not able to deploy. I'm not able to execute the model. It's a little bit like, you know, closer to church, further from God. I mean, I have many ideas and models. But when I get home, my wife says, why don't you actually speak to your daughter that way? I said, no, no, of course. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm getting into a bad habit. So, uh, you know, you need an external coach. I think I've, I've invested in that, an external healer, an external someone who is guiding you and steering you. It's almost... I think it's more important than a gym membership for sure and more important than all of the other investments you make, even in courses, honestly, 
because I think imagine having an hour with you if I was a leader and you're listening and you're talking and you're giving me techniques. I come away feeling like, you know what? It's possible. And so one of the things I do want to tell my straight talkers is that uh, be courageous enough to go and find someone who is your coach and your guide, because that's what you do. I mean, I guess the book is your tool to say, okay, I can't get to everyone, but those who I can't get to, please buy the book, right? Because, you know, unless you have multiple AI avatars, which you might do, the way things are going in the metaverse. Um, Are you thinking of another book? And in fact, why I ask that is because I often find with authors, they write the book and then time goes by and they think, no, that's so much since I've written the book. And if I were to write it again, in fact, I should have many more chapters. Have you thought about what else you would like to write about after this book? I have actually. And uh, being a new mom, I realized- oh, like congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Uh, why, why start at the corporate level? I, I would like to actually perhaps, and I haven't spoken to my agent yet, so this is the first time I'm sharing my idea, but why not start young at the you know kids level of yeah. the whole concept of pause, breathe, choose? Like, you know, a toddler having a tantrum or like, you know, an older, um, a teen, like younger kids starting before even getting into the workplace, having the tools to manage stress, but speaking more to them could be mm. a next target audience. That's just a thought, but I also have a lot more for, you know, the, for leaders and executives, but I, I just feel like they should start earlier. Like it shouldn't be, this shouldn't be a new concept starting as adults. It should start at an earlier age. So why not start, you know, mindfulness programs or, you know, intervention earlier. So they mm. have the tools and they're more advanced and uh, wise and mature when they get into the workforce. Yeah, I, there is a huge, I mean, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and uh, I have to tell you that there is a huge opportunity, you know, with the entire context of Gen Z, Alpha and what you've just laid out in your book, you know, we, you know, it, it would be unfair to expect a leader of any sort to go and, uh, you know, inculcate or inoculate their child with all of the wisdom and energy that you've talked about if they don't have it themselves, if they haven't done what you've just described over the last hour or so, <laughs> blind leading the blind, I think there's a huge opportunity for whatever age bracket, maybe seven onwards, because they've seven, eight onwards. To actually, a lot of what you've got in the book, I think could probably be translated to a younger person. Maybe some bits uh, could be adjusted, but it would be so powerful because parents are at a loss, honestly. Uh, they don't know how to deal, most parents, we're privileged because we're in this game and we can find some techniques and we have a community that we can, you know, channel our energies with and do some uh, pontification. Most parents don't know how to deal with their children. They're going through mental uh, illness. Uh, mm-hmm. Self-harm is on the rise, uh, both boys and girls, men and and, and women. And uh, it's, it's a real difficult one. So that's, you know, that if you are going to do anything in that space, we'd love to collaborate and, and get our straight talkers. We have about 20,000 of uh, our straight talkers who engage in all sorts of things. So, you know, that there's your sample base for some surveys, mm. if you wish. Wonderful. Um, you know, it, it would be an honor. And um, before you close, I mean, firstly, I've had such a fantastic time talking to you. I know you're rushing off to another uh, meeting and so on. How has uh, the last 45, 50, maybe 60 minutes been for you? You talked about energy and you talked about how you feel about things. 
please uh, share share your initial reaction or response to the last hour or so with with us and with Straight Talk. I'd love your feedback. I really, truly, genuinely enjoyed my interaction with you. You are very genuine and your questions are different. I've done over 150 different podcasts, radio shows, interviews, and, you know, I like to have a very genuine, natural flow. And I felt that this was very fluid and genuine. And that's what I like authentic connection is what I thrive on. And, um, it's given me a lot of energy. Uh, there are times where I just, you know, they go through the checklist of questions. It's like the same questions and, you know, I could answer them while I'm sleeping. So this, I really was present and engaged. And that meant that that, that means that it's, you know, a, a very, um, fruitful and, um, energizing, authentic conversation, which is what I strive to, to have in my conversation. So I thank you for your energy and bringing that energy forward, mm -hmm. because <laughs> I know you meet with a lot of people. And so it, you know, it can, if your guest is, you know, um, depleted, or I don't know, I don't want to label any guests, but it could not be as um, energizing. And then that rubs off on you. So it's hard to like bring up the energy or to like, have mm. an authentic conversation if it's not two ways, if it's not mutual, but I feel right. like this yeah. was mutual and um, connected. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah, great. And before we close up uh, in, in true Iranian style, although I'm not, I have many friends that would call you Naz John. Um, you know, it's been a pleasure to have you on Straight Talk. What a fantastic uh, person you are with great energy, brilliant aura. And I wish you all the best in your in your uh, endeavor to write yet another book, definitely for children. And, um, you know, being a new mother as well, that's going to be a phenomenal experience. <laughs> and uh, God bless you. You're going to be Thank brilliant. You. Thanks and, so much. Uh, we'd love to get you back on the show when you decide to write your next book or uh, reach out to our community at any point if we can help. Where do people find you if there's a website or anything like that? Please tell us uh, because we'll make sure we promote that. Yeah. So nazbaheshi.com and also prananaz.com is my corporate for corporate wellness, but both of them. And then uh, you could find my book on Amazon and all major retailers and um, in all different forms too. So uh, yeah, you could find all the information there. Yeah. Brilliant. You're wonderful. And uh, honest to have you on the show. Take care of yourself. Real pleasure. And we Thank will you. see you very, very soon, Naz. Take care. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for Straight Talkers. Subscribe, bottom right button, you know the score. And I'll see you all very, very soon.